Welcome along to episode 23. I'm Cam. I'm the host of the Lifting Your Life podcast. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology. I'm a personal trainer and I also work in IT. Today I'm joined by Annie Nelson, who is a powerlifter with two British titles and has also competed at the World Championships twice. Not only that, she is also a powerlifting coach, so she coaches athletes who also compete in powerlifting. Now, I thought it would be a good idea to outline exactly what powerlifting is in case you're listening and you don't know uh, anything about the sport. So if you're a powerlifter, I hope I don't butcher this, but I'm just going to give a brief introduction into what powerlifting is. So essentially, there's three main lifts, your squats, your bench, and your deadlifts. And in terms of a competition, it's divided into body weight categories, so you have to be under a certain body weight in order to compete in that category. And for the three lifts, each athlete gets three chances to lift the heaviest possible weight that they can for that lift within the guidance of the rules. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> You'll find this episode valuable if you're considering getting into powerlifting because Annie talks about what to look for specifically in getting a coach and just in general how to start powerlifting. As well as that, we discuss nutrition, being in a calorie surplus and also the nuances of powerlifting like water cutting or improving certain aspects of the three lifts. I hope you enjoy this episode and as always feel free to like, comment, subscribe on the platform that you're listening to this on. But um yeah I'm ready to roll if you are we're live now. Me too. Cool. Okay now Annie thank you so much for joining me today. Obviously, um, we're going to delve into some powerlifting. It'd be kind of funny if we chatted about anything else, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, where I want to start off, obviously, being a British champion, someone who's competed at the World Champs and has been competing for a few years, and you're also a coach, I wanted to start off quite big and broad and just ask you, what does the term strength mean to you? Obviously, being a powerlifter, you need to be strong, lift heavy weights, but is there more to that word strength than just being physically strong? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think probably the biggest thing for me is the strength kind of shown me time and time again, like proving myself wrong that I can do things that I never once thought was possible. And like, even though that's just a weight on the bar, like for some people it's not that deep. Um, But for me, it shows me like, you're so much more capable of things than what you think and I often I'm able to transfer that over to everyday life as well and I have heard some of my own lifters that I coach say similar things like it really helps them with confidence in everyday life and um, mental health wise it is amazing Um, it's really helped me through a a lot of horrible times so yeah that's what I would say strength means to me. Yeah it's a good point you raise I been listening to some people who because I'm a big believer like from my personal training experience that training physically and improving yourself physically whether that's aesthetics or strength or fitness 
I really feel like that's a transferable thing to other parts of your life, whether it be relationships, your work, whatever. It teaches you how to persevere yeah. through other things as well. But I've heard people say the opposite. They're like, nah, there's no transferable learnings between lifting really? weights and yeah, between lifting weights and then the, you know, stuff outside of the gym. So how do you think specifically it's it's transferred into other areas of your life? I think just like well, on one side of it, I think feeling physically strong makes you feel more kind of in control of everyday life, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that you can, or it's, it probably sounds silly, but knowing that you can like lift a certain amount of weight. I don't know. I just think it makes you feel more powerful as a person. It's like, yeah, empowering, I feel. And yeah. It's definitely. like it gives you a sense of confidence too, I think. Definitely. And, like, I don't want this to think I'm discounting males at all because it's just as important for them. But I think um, it's really empowering, especially for females as well, like, because we're often told we shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. And, like, realising that you can lift just as much as these men is very empowering. Mm. Is there any specific times in your life where you've been going through a lot outside of the gym and then you lifting weights and doing this stuff and the sport that you do has been the sort of catalyst for you being able to get through that stuff outside yeah, of the gym massively like the the German training for me is a total like I go into this different headspace where I don't think about anything else it's just my training um, and I find that's been really great and way at the start when I first picked it up I was really depressed um, I was on antidepressants I was my anxiety was really bad um, I didn't actually know like if I was going to get through it, to be honest. Um, but I just picked up powerlifting and for some reason it made me feel amazing about myself and it gave me a focus and like I dread to think what would happen if I hadn't started that. Mm. Well, it sounds like you're going through a lot at yeah. that time. How long since you, you when you started powerlifting, how soon did you see the positive impacts that it would have on your life? Because it sounds like you were going through a very tough time. Yeah, so I think I started powerlifting when I literally just turned 21, and I'm I'm 26 now. Um, and I trained for like six months before I did my first comp, something like that. And then basically like I remember being in a really bad place for quite a while, and I didn't quite realise it until I looked back that it actually went back to probably high school. Um, and then it was pretty quick to be honest like I honestly think like within a couple of months I was like whoa like I've got a whole new lease of life here and I think it helped that I was good at it as well (laughs) but it just made me feel good about myself and made me realize that like um like here here's a sport that you're really good at like you could do well at this rather than just kind of plodding along with my athletics thinking oh I'm not very good at this and um, life is crap right now like it was a totally different shift yeah I'd be personally interested in some studies I'm sure they've probably been conducted studies being conducted on that very thing because it'd be intriguing to understand what part of that improved your mental health was it the maybe you could answer but was it the working towards a specific goal was it the but the routine and the consistency that it gave you was it the fact that you were moving your body in a way at a high intensity that it just wasn't getting before what do you think were the 
main elements, it's probably all the above, but what do you think were the main elements that helped improve your mental state? I honestly think it's slightly different from that because, like for some people it might be that, um, but for me I've always grown up in competitive sports so like I've always been training in a routine I've always stuck to it like I would never I would I would occasionally miss a training session maybe like once a year or something like that I'd always go I'd always be in my routine I'd always be moving and exercising um and working towards a competitive goal so like that never changed for me but I think what did change was like I was doing athletics before right and it's quite hard to gauge how you're improving compared to powerlifting because even when it's not like a squat bench or deadlift and it's an accessory and you're up in weight, like you know you're... It's very objective. Yeah, Yeah. very objective. Mm. Um, So I think knowing and seeing that I was improving and getting physically stronger was really, really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting actually that you were competing already before it because maybe my assumption was that you hadn't been and then you found a physical thing, but actually having already been competing... It seems like it was the, like you say, the thing you were competing in that helped you because it was a very objective sport. Where, sorry, whereas like something like bodybuilding is almost the exact opposite because it can be so subjective. 100%. Mm. Now, to sort of build a bit of a picture, obviously, because you're a coach, so I'm keen to pick your brain on this too. If I was, say, I don't know, maybe a 22-year-old female, I go to the gym a little bit, but I'm really wanting to compete and get into powerlifting. What would the first few steps for me be to get into the sport? So first thing I would say to anyone is get a coach. Um, It's very, very hard to do it without a coach. A lot of people think, you know, I do squat bench and deadlift in the gym. How much more different can it be? You need a coach, like, especially at the start. Um, I know, some lifters that self-coach have no idea how they do it um, but they tend to be like more advanced like you don't normally see beginner to intermediate lifters without a coach and I think that's really important um, regarding that I would say try and find a coach that like speak to lots of different coaches and see try, ideally go on a call with them if they offer that and speak with them and see how you gel together because what kind of questions would I ask the coach if I was new to the world of powerlifting what would be some green flags and red flags that I would look for and yeah or and what questions do I ask if I'm completely new to powerlifting and I jump on a call with you right now I'm a client you're my potential coach what are some questions I should ask you to decipher whether or not you're a good coach Hmm, this is a good question. There's this is like very, very wide and broad. Um but I think I would first of all ask about the communication aspect, like what can I expect? Like when am I gonna hear from you? When am I gonna get my programming and like try and work out how reliable that is? If you can speak to current or ex clients, then great, because they're going to tell you fakes. Obviously, a coach can say whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really big thing, because if you aren't hearing back from your coach um, when they say they're going to message you back or give you feedback, or you're not getting your programming on time, like that is a huge red flag. Um, like, I mean, you're paying for a service. You need to get the service, and it affects you massively as an athlete. 
Um, so that is a big thing. Um, what else would I say? I would ask just like, what do you expect from me as an athlete as well? Um, and I think like just generally speaking to a coach, what you want to watch out for is like a coach that makes it about them and not about the lifter. Yeah. Back in um, my day when I competed at World Champs, I did I've done 300. Yeah. Yeah. Like, fair enough if you're asking about the coach's personal things. Like, when I go on a consultation call with someone, if they ask me about my own things or if they say, I've got my first international coming up and I think you might be a good coach for me because you've been there and done it yourself, I'll talk to them a bit about that and how I could possibly use my experiences to help them. But it's when the coaches are constantly like, well, I've done this, so I'm therefore a good coach. It's like, well, no how how many different kinds of lifters at different levels have you coached and how have you been able to develop or help them like whether it's physically mentally both um because mental development is just as important as physical when you're trying to be in a sport like powerlifting that is you know the long game would you say that their reputation as an athlete when they competed or when they are currently competing is a good sign of whether or not they're a good coach, you know, their ability to compete as an athlete? I think, like, that's a bit of a two-sided thing. So, like, first thing I'd say is just being a good lifter doesn't mean you're a good coach. But at the same time, if you can do both well, they work so well together. Because, like, you can... There's so many times that I've been able to relate, like, so closely with my clients. Like, it's actually unusual that I have one of them come to me with an issue and I've not been there myself. So, like, empathy-wise, it's really good. And I can chat to them a bit about, like, how I dealt with it and how I've dealt with possibly other clients who have gone through the same thing. Um, because I know that some coaches um, have never competed themselves. And I I just don't understand, like, how can you possibly put yourself in that, that person's shoes when you've never done it yourself? If you haven't done the thing. That's, that's the exact same thing in the world of bodybuilding. Yeah. How do you know what? your athlete is going through you know if they're having to do something extreme like a water cut or something like that how do you know what they're going through yeah. if you haven't walked the walk mm -hmm. yourself or even like knowing how hard it is to peak and mm. like have these heavy weights on your back session in session out like it's just very hard to understand and like even some people in the gym like I've got friends in the gym that that don't compete in powerlifting but they really like doing squat bench deadlift powerlifting style training but they still will not 100% understand what it's like to fully do it competitively and if I'm going back again if I'm this 22 year old female keen to get into it first piece of advice is to get a coach what if I say to you but Annie I, I can't afford a coach but I want to get into powerlifting and maybe I just want to try it out for eight weeks or 10 weeks to see if I'm even any good at this thing before yeah. I invest in a coach. What things should I do to start? Maybe in terms of my potential split sets and reps and exercises, obviously caveat it with it's going to be different for everyone. Yep. But what would be some good points to start with? So you're right. Like it definitely would be different for everyone. And it depends on how long this female had been training for and what kind of thing she does already um so like when I get a new client coming on especially one who's you know pretty new to powerlifting I always ask 
how many like how what their frequency is like just now over their squat bench deadlift and how many sort of how much time they spend on their accessories stuff like that and then you slowly usually have to build it up from there um but the first thing I would ask is like how many times do you squat bench and deadlift in a week and then say she maybe said I do them all once a week um I would say right well why don't you try keeping your deadlift once a week for now squat twice bench twice and then come back to me in however many weeks let me know how things are how you're adapting and then you know I would try and it's very it's very difficult to say when you've not got that communication with that person but I'm always very keen to get anyone involved so even if I couldn't be their coach I'd always be open to have someone messaging me being like look I'm thinking of doing this style of training do you think that makes sense I'd be like yeah like I'm not going to write a whole program for them for nothing but I'd be happy to lend an ear and give them a I've done that before like giving people a couple of pointers where I'd say I'd they've messaged me their program and said what do you think of this um this is people I know by the way <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not just a random <laughs> yeah and then I've said like this is pretty good but I'd maybe tweak this little bit here um here's my reasons sort of thing you can always speak to so many people this is a thing like especially lifters high up in the sport and coaches high up like or even just coaches in general they they want people to get involved and do well so like if somebody's gatekeeping stuff is you know you question their intentions a bit yeah it does feel like a sport where everyone sort of encourages everyone i suppose the format of it sort of promotes that as well but back to the so the first thing there would be if they have been training like you said would be increasing the frequency where do you stand with it in terms of their technique what if they're doing each lift three times a week but they're doing them very poorly would you still yeah. then encourage them to increase the frequency or would you say keep doing it once a week but improve on these things because your back looks looks like a dog taking a poop when you're doing a deadlift yeah. <laughs> again i think there's a very fine line with that like it depends how bad it is um yeah. because on one side you wouldn't want to increase the frequency when something's really bad yeah because you obviously don't want to um you know promote injury or niggles however on the other side increasing frequency is going to give them more exposure to it and more practice and that's when they're going to get better so it would totally depend on like how that person lifted um if you can like sometimes a good thing to do some coaches do like a technique review so like you don't need to pay like a monthly fee or whatever you can maybe do it for cheaper um send them a bunch of videos and then they'll send you some technique analysis back um that would be a cheaper option um with some coaches that do offer that yeah, that's really good advice. I didn't know they did that. It's good. I just some people do. Yeah. The reason I asked that is because when I started with a bodybuilding coach quite a few years ago, when I was competing, I said, "Oh, I need to grow my legs. Like, would you say I should increase the frequency from once to twice a week?" And his advice was just, "Let's see if we can get one leg day right before we increase it to two <laughs> leg days." Which yeah. obviously different sports, but like you say, the more reps you do, the higher the chance of you getting better because as long as the reps are improving you're not doing the technique poor every single time yeah. but if you're yeah. focusing on improving another thing like just popped into my head there as well is like chat to loads of powerlifters in your gym if you can and get technique advice from them because people are often really willing to help um so stuff like that would be good um but yeah like increasing or not increasing frequency is a very very subjective thing 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably best done under the eyes of a good coach because, yeah. like you said, if you're doing it poorly and you go from doing 20 reps poorly to 40 reps poorly, yeah. it's not really advantageous. Exactly. All right. Now, to bring it back to you as an athlete, you obviously just competed at, at Worlds. Um, I would really keen to sort of zoom in on that a little bit and maybe the first part of it that I'd be interested in is how do you deal with the pressure of such a big event? Obviously, it's like, would you say it's the most prestigious or maybe the second most prestigious competition in powerlifting in the world? So how do you deal with the pressure that comes along with an event like So I think the first time I was going to Worlds last year, I was like very kind of, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like all of these famous lifters that are like, all over Instagram were suddenly introducing themselves to me and I was having to try and play it cool. It's like a bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what the hell am I doing here? But um, I've always kind of struggled with that, but I like, it's getting much better. Like this time I was like, no, I've, I've properly earned my spot here. Um, and it gets better over time. But I think like the biggest thing that's helped that is the GB team. Like they've been so good. Um, like it's such a supportive group there's eight women and eight men and all the coaches are great as well and like we had a group chat before we went and like it was I think it started off being like just announcements from the head coach like very strict sort of thing and then we all ended up chatting and like taking the mic out of each other and stuff and like we all know each other already but like having that throughout your peaking and things like that was like you're not in this alone you've got 15 other people here doing the same thing and they're all rooting for you um, it's like the and community you, aspect of it 100 percent. and when you like not only have we all got like a really nice circle of people backing us back home but when we're over there everyone always makes an effort to go and cheer you on when you're on the platform like it doesn't matter if they know you or not if you're team gb they're there and that made a huge difference that's epic that's yeah. such a supportive little community so it what is. what was the difference between last year and this year and you feeling like you were meant to be there is it like a sense of you kind of proved yourself last year or is it sort of like I've been here I've done it so you feel a little bit more comfortable what made it different this time around so last year I had probably the worst competition of my whole life Mm, (laughs) Uh, yeah Um, but like I always find when I have a comp that doesn't go quite how I want it to go I always learn a lot from it Mm. um and it develops me as a lifter. Um, so like I'm still I'm not happy with my performance just passed, but I know that it's going to make me better. Um, but I think like what's changed is like I did a lot of work with a sports psychologist um, before and after that. Um, her name's Amelia Potter on Instagram. Um, Potts thinks. So she really helped me work through a lot of imposter syndrome that I had, and kind of reminded me why I've earned my spot and like helping me own my own successes because I was always just like you know saying oh it's because either these people didn't do as well so I got put in the team or whatever or it's because my coach is so like doing all this work for me and it's not me if that makes sense yeah um and it's a very two-sided thing obviously so like I had to try and like work through a, a point where I was realizing that it was actually because of me that I was there and it wasn't a fluke mm, it's like owning um, your successes yeah and like the people that you meet 
over there and stuff is amazing so I think like the fact that I knew a lot more people this time was really nice and I was looking forward to seeing them rather than going in and being like right I know the GB team and that's it. Mm -hmm. You're one of the first athletes I've talked to who's actually gone to a sports psychologist so I've got my bachelor's degree in psychology so it's kind of I'm quite interested in it and my partner Chloe she's a professional bikini athlete and she's gone to a sports psychologist so what specifically did you do with a sports psychologist maybe like how many sessions would I be interested in but also like what specific things did you do with her that helped you be able to own your successes like that um, so we had a few sessions over video call and stuff like we worked together for quite a few months I would need to check how long it was um, and it was just really good to like talk through things like I would say things that she would a then ask me questions on and then I would realize like oh that's why I think like that so, like one example of that would be um, she was asking me about my athletics background um, and I said like I would kind of go into I, w I wouldn't go into a race thinking neg negatively but I would kind of think right I'm probably going to be like this is when it was like national level I wasn't that great um, if I'm being honest <laughs> like I was fast compared to the average female but that was it yeah. um, I, if I was going into like Scottish championship race or something I would have it in my head like right you're probably going to be mid-pack to maybe maybe last I don't know mid to last somewhere were, there. were you being realistic or negative towards yourself <laughs> just realistic <laughs> um like when it got when it was like regional level I wasn't too bad but when it got higher than that I was struggling so like I knew I wasn't going to podium and she was kind of asking me questions like do you think because you've kind of gone so quickly from a, being a beginner powerlifter to actually like winning your first British within the space of like Oh, I would need to check how long a short amount of time. Do you think that's maybe why you're struggling with this? I was like, do you know what? Actually, I think you're right. Like, I'm just not used to being at the top, and I feel like it's a fluke. Um, yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. That's based on your previous sport where you didn't do well <laughs> in yeah. quotes, didn't do well yeah. to a sport where you're excelling. You could see how your imposter syndrome would come about because yeah. I'm like, well, my experience with sport is to not do that great on a big stage and then yeah. you were winning like I just I was I've just always been like quite athletic but average um yeah like my school friends would probably say different but when I was comparing myself to the others that were doing sports I wasn't amazing um and then the fact that people were telling me yeah you're gonna be in the GB team within like this amount of time and stuff I was like what is going on like I was like how on earth have I got here but like over time that's that's really you know started to fade away and I've realized that I am actually good at this and it's okay to feel like that and say that mm. did she get you to do any like affirmation kind of work or anything like that yeah so after each comp I would do like um a sort of review where I'd type some stuff up on my laptop I'd answer all the questions that she was asking me and it was like I can't remember the exact questions, but it was like in detail, like properly breaking everything down um, and like realizing all these things and learning these things. And like I would send that back to her and then we'd have a call and we'd chat about it all. Um, and, and that really helped. Yeah, it's quite a powerful thing that um, I learned about that in psychology. And the term that was used was called savoring. Mm. And it's like after an event or a thing or an experience, 
if you it could even just be talking about it you know reviewing it through a conversation but writing it down is that it enhances your ability to hang on to those learnings or what happened in that experience rather than doing the thing okay i did great i didn't do great and then just moving on but yeah. if you have that ability especially if it's specific questions not how was it you know yeah. it's like what specifically went well with your deadlift or something like yeah. that then i'm sure for you it, it helped you hang on to those learnings for a longer period of time definitely yeah um and it also helped that she was really lovely and i felt like i was in such a safe space when i was speaking so yeah mm, yeah um another thing when it comes to you and your competing i'm always interested in athletes and their nutrition so when it comes to your powerlifting how important would you say nutrition is both probably splitting it into two parts when you're specifically competing maybe for that weekend or that day that you're competing and then also outside of that time as well yeah so i think like when you're competing it obviously depends on whether you need to try and make weight or not um i always do but outside of that it's so much more important than what people think like people think it's just all training but like if you can nail your nutrition as well like you're coming in like all guns blazing it's it's such a huge like it's like a cheat code um people are lazy with it um i see it all the time they almost eat like children (laughs) um like it's like they'll get their protein in but there's no micronutrients or any of that Um, yeah or they drink like i don't know not even a liter a day or something like that and it's all these things that help you recover and repair all your muscles and like just be a healthier human as well so it is massively important. Um, I've been working with a nutrition coach for just over a year now. Um, Jane Jones is her name. She's been massively helpful. And like having that accountability is really useful as well. So how strict is your plan day to day? Not strict at all. Um, it's just kind of like, basically we started off um, tracking like my macros and my fiber intake and things like that and my hydration levels. Um, I did that for a long time and then it was like earlier this year I kind of I said to her like Jane I'm really struggling like last week I didn't track a single day fully and like my body image right now is really bad I said like I'm not gonna lie I'm at like a pretty low point here um I just want to be honest with you like sorry that I've not tracked anything and she was like right first of all never say sorry for that um I'm really glad you told me Um, And we had a bit of a back and forth and she was like, what I want you to do just now is step away from tracking anything and just take a picture of everything you eat and timestamp it and then send me it and then let me know what time you've trained. Um, And that was like a big game changer for me. Like all of a sudden I wasn't like craving foods and feeling restricted. Like I had like a bit of food freedom there. It's Um, such a catch 22 uh, with a specific plan like that. Like, yeah. yeah, it might get you to the goal quicker, arguably, but if that's at the expense of your mental health, then it's almost counterintuitive to the exactly. goal. Yeah, I had a bit of a break from that. And then the week before Worlds just passed, I was tracking again because we need to kind of track your macro intake, like your split of macros, because often you need to bring your carbs down and bring your fats and your proteins up to help you lose a bit of water weight um bring fiber down things like that um i went back to tracking for a week and i was actually like this is okay 
Um, so I've I've started tracking this week again, just after having a bit of a break after Worlds, just eating and drinking, doing all these nice things. Um, I've started tracking again, and I feel okay about it. Um, but I know that that was my choice, and I know that Jane will be happy for me to step away for that from that if I ever need to. But I think, um, I think I'll be all right with it this time. Mm, that's such an important learning for you as an athlete and I'm sure that helps you with your athletes too in terms of you being a coach as well yeah but one uh, important thing you touched on there which I'd be interested to elaborate on more was micronutrients mm. it's easy like you say to eat your chicken and rice and some avocado or peanut butter or something yeah. so what are some key micronutrients you make sure to include in your intake so I wouldn't like say there's anything specifically that you should be having, but if you can generally make your plate as colourful as you can, then great. Like if you can get greens, red vegetables, like ev- as many colours as you can, then great. Like yeah. I wouldn't say don't overcomplicate it. Just try and make a colourful plate. <laughs> That's very sound advice. We, um, yeah. Me and my partner Chloe, we started getting the odd box, which is here yeah. in the UK. And it's like £15 a week or something. Mm-hmm. And each week on a Thursday night, a box gets dropped off with a random selection of fruit and veggies. Nice. And we found that has been a really good way of getting variation in because I don't know what it's like for you but when you go to the supermarket and like yeah I know I need to get a good variation of fruit and veggies but it's almost like you have ones that you just default to every time and I don't know what to get so what's your approach to that do you just go and shed again or do you have like a some recipes in mind so first of all my boyfriend does most of the cooking I'll truly admit that um (laughs) and he he's an athlete like that's what he does for a living um so it's it's good like I can always rely on whatever he's making it's it's good for both of us (laughs) um but like that odd box I might actually give that a go I don't know if they have that up in Scotland but I'm gonna have a look um but like usually I I get a few fresh things but like I also have like a lot of stock in the freezer so I can just like quickly super easy yeah like last night i had like broccoli and cauliflower all straight in the um in the microwave and it like i know that sounds really lazy but you're still getting your vegetables in and it's better than nothing right if you can get something yeah 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 absolutely but we've been doing yeah the odd box for maybe four weeks or something now and we've been enjoying it and it's something different and they're in season too which is a another benefit of it maybe i should get them to sponsor the podcast yeah you should i'm I'm definitely (laughs) gonna have a look at it now yeah yeah have a look but um now in terms of you being an athlete and also a coach from my experience as a personal trainer so i got into personal training because i was like oh i love fitness and i love going to the gym for myself and then the learning after a while of being an in-person personal trainer is that it can actually take the passion away from it so Mm. how do you balance turning your passion into a profession like that so I think first of all it helps I am like completely utterly obsessed with a sport and I'll happily talk about it it does help hours. <laughs> um, like it's not like I just I just like it like it I revolve my entire life around it so like if someone asks me about it I'm like I'll talk to anyone let's about go it. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like ask me about curling <laughs> but um yeah like I think you've got to make boundaries somehow as well like it can't be your be all and end all like you've also got to find time where you switch off and don't think about things like that but I do find that being a coach 
and a lifter myself, they both do complement each other quite well. Mm-hmm. Is that in terms of the experience crossover or is it sort of not having a context switch or how do you think they benefit each other? I think like one way, like I said earlier about how I'm usually able to relate to my clients quite closely, um, whatever they come to me with. And then on the other hand, I often learn from them as well. So like I can put, instead of freaking out about something and having my athlete brain on, I can then be like, right, if you were coaching yourself right now, like what would you tell yourself? <laughs> that is good. Thing? You almost yeah. become a self-coach at the moments when it's a bit, bit <laughs> tougher. Yeah, and like I often, my coach is very collaborative, um, which I'm lucky with, but he will often bounce some ideas off each other and I'll be like, right, hey, I'm thinking about this for this reason, like, what do you think? Like, at the end of the day, I'm going to trust your decision, but this is my thoughts and like, we're we're quite good at bouncing ideas off each other. <laughs> and before you came a coach, what were you doing professionally? So... I was working in an office um, doing German translation and German customer service. So you speak German fluently then? Yeah, I went to uni to do German and Spanish translating and interpreting. Wow, and what what was that transition? Because those are very different things, being a translator to a powerlifting coach. What was that like? I'm just thinking about the, maybe there's people lifting right now, lifting, listening right now who are powerlifters, and maybe they're considering stepping into the coaching realm but also working a nine to five. How how did you handle that transition? So first of all, what I did was like my shifts were a little bit weird. Like they were nine till five or five thirty. And then lockdown happened and everything kind of got switched around. So I would have like um maybe three days a week where I was nine till five thirty and then two days a week where I think I was eleven thirty till eight. So what I'd do is I'd have like I think I started off on two days a week where I'd have like two mornings a week on my 11.30 till 8 shifts. I would go in to the gym that I coached at at the time and do like two personal training sessions or whatever. Like I started off being a PT before I went into powerlifting coaching um, and it would just be people who wanted to get stronger. So it was like gentle powerlifting. Yeah. Um, and then I thought like, right, I'm going to need to go part time here because I'm getting quite busy. And the clients that I did have were staying as well. And I was getting good feedback from them. And I was like, right, okay. Um, and I thought, right, I'm going to go part-time. So I spoke to my managers about it. And they, oh, there was a bit of a back and forth. But it wasn't as simple as I wanted it to be, which is completely fair. Um, yeah. And then I said to, I was speaking to my boyfriend about it. Like, for context, we have got a mortgage together. Um, like, it's, Some you know, financial like, commitments. Yeah. <laughs> and, um yeah he was like Annie you're never gonna know how it's gonna go until you like go go all in he's like if anything happens I've got your back like I'll pay the bills like just do it and I was like right okay so I just left my job and went (laughs) full-time which is pretty wild I know but like I thankfully had that safety net there that I luckily didn't need to use um Mm -hmm. I don't know how I struck so lucky but I, I just got so busy so quickly and people stayed um, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. Like I've still got clients now that I had at the very very start. Oh, that's so cool! And you formed such a close relationship, right? Yeah. After some time, you're basically just friends, and you happen to be oh, taking yeah. them through a training session. Yeah, like some of them, I only coach online now, but like some of them, I'm I'm like, please can we meet for coffee because I've not seen yeah, you in so yeah, long. Yeah. They they are a friend as well, and obviously there's boundaries there, but 
it's it's lovely when you're when you're close with your clients rather than just being like do this do that absolutely and what what were some of your strategies on getting those clients were almost going into a, a business advice kind of conversation now but it sounded like when you quit your job you obviously were a successful personal trainer so how did you do that because personal training isn't an easy thing to do in terms of getting the sales because often I don't know what your experience was like but you're kind of really interested in like you love the thing that you're doing but sometimes selling your service can be quite difficult so how did you navigate that so like first of all I know that I'm very privileged in the fact that people looked at what I'd done as an athlete and thought I want to be coached by someone who's done that because I think that's cool yeah um and I'm I'm not naive to the fact that that was a big a big point there. Um, but then I felt like I have to prove myself by showing what I can do as a coach, not just as a lifter. Um, and social media has been a massive thing for that. Like now I'm terrible at posting on my business account, but um, at the start I was like posting all day, every day, like tagging my clients. If they wanted to repost it, they could. Um didn't really matter if they did or not but like as long as I was active on there and showing people what I was doing day in day out really did help and it's about like like you say it makes sense that people come to you for your resume right it's like well this person obviously knows how to do the thing therefore mm-hmm. there's a higher chance of them being able to teach me to do the thing but yeah. you having the confidence to then take videos or photos of their progress and then be able to post it up was that yeah. would you say the main sort of catalyst of growing your business from there yeah and I definitely think word of mouth as well like um the the clients that I did bring on I was very lucky that they were all lovely people and I got on so well with them so um like they would feel like their training time with me was a safe space and they could like have a almost a bit of a counseling session at some points yeah um and you know like when you give somebody that sort of space and time then they, they talk about you in a nice way and other people hear about you so yeah. That is one big component of personal training that often people aren't prepared for, right? Is that it's not just taking them through three sets of 12 and a leg extension. You're there with them for half an hour or an hour. And a lot of that time is spent resting in between sets. And yeah. they do end up confiding in you. So did you find that aspect of it okay? It wasn't too much? Yeah, do you know what? I found it okay like I know I know a lot of people are like Jesus you're putting like all your trauma on me here but um like I actually found it quite like um what's the word quite meaningful that someone felt like they were in a safe enough space to tell me yeah absolutely um and yeah it just meant quite a lot actually and I would, I would always lend an ear to someone that was needing it did you find that that helped you sort of work through anything that you were going through because at least for me I was also really young like you like early 20s when I started personal training and then you're training someone who's maybe 50 or even even older who's going through so many things that you can't relate to but did you find that training people like that from what I assume would have been quite a wide range of people that you've trained have you got a lot of learnings from them also as well as them obviously learning from you yeah I would say so like it feels like a while ago now that I was doing the face-to-face stuff, but it really wasn't. Um, and just hearing about like different parts of different people's lives and the backgrounds they've come from, it's it's always interesting and always gives you a new perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I found that I learned a lot of different things, even about you know the corporate world or anything like that. Because 
when you go from straight to uni then into personal training it's just something that you can't relate to at all yeah now in terms of pulling it back to you again as an athlete right now what are some of the main things that you're working on to improve and come back stronger for your next competition so right now um the biggest couple of issues for me is my bench press is down and we're trying to work out why i think it could be body weight related because i've dropped weight a little bit um so what i'm gonna do just now is over the next eight weeks i'm doing like a very gentle surplus um which is going to be very closely monitored because every time i've put on weight it's been accidental and it's given me like a negative view of it Oh, sorry, so a doing... calorie surplus. I thought you took yeah. my your training for a second. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So I'm doing that very gently um, to try and help me put on the muscle that I need. And then we're going to strip it back. So I'm going to do a little bit of a recomp. Um, basically, at Worlds, I noticed that my upper body was a lot smaller than some of the girls there. So to get, like, obviously, a bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger muscle. So if I can use this, like, off-season to do that, then great because usually I'm prepping and can't like really go through a volume or hypertrophy phase. I was about to ask, so if you're wanting to put on muscle, you must change your sets and reps around as well? Yeah, to an extent. Um, Like I've always done um, volume stuff on my accessories, but now I've got it on everything. So uh, yeah, like training a bigger range of motion and things like that as well. But um, yeah, that's my bench. And then my deadlift is... I keep dropping deadlifts, like it's my grip. Um, oh, right. So it's a, I'm kind of like, is it my grip or is it my positioning off the floor that's making the bar roll out my hand or is it both? So I'm trying to work on both of them right now with my coach and try and work out where it's going wrong. Um, I've been trialing hook grip this week and it feels horrible. How's your thumbs? Yeah, but like, this is like, this probably sounds way too far, but I'm like, nothing is sorer than the pain of dropping a deadlift on the platform that's true <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to you know strike balance with things and work out what i can do which hand specifically is there one that lets go first it's my right hand which is my overhand because i do mixed grip mm. oh that's interesting i don't know it just rolls about. out like when i start to lock it out and it, the bar goes over my quad it then starts to roll out and you see it like i'm like this and then it starts to go like that and that feeling you can just feel it just slowly rolling out of your hands yeah there's and, a picture of me at worlds with 215 in my hands and i'm literally smiling and it was just before i dropped it <laughs> oh man and and what about your squats if we're going to go through each one is there something specifically with your squats that you want to work on squats are loyal that is, yeah. that's my, <laughs> um like squats are going well right now like I mean, in March, I squatted a British record of 186 um, on the platform, and it was a grind. And then, uh, like, we've changed a couple of things on, like, te- technique. I've changed the footwear that I wear. Um, and then, like, programming-wise, we've changed a few bits as well, like, just basically brought the intensity up a bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like that's just been going so well because at worlds i squatted 190 and it was actually quite easy like i had like another seven and a half in me according to my coach and i believe him so it's like that's in a short period of time so I, whatever i'm doing with my squat is working and i'm going to keep it that way but it's the other two that i need to fix. <laughs> yeah well at least one of them is solid there that's that's yeah. a lot of weight man one i know i don't know like sometimes i forget that like 
I couldn't even deadlift that at one point, so. Oh, that's epic. Now, in terms of pulling it back to your bench press and then going into a calorie surplus, how do you initiate a calorie surplus and what does that look like for you? Is there a particular thing? Like, do you increase your carbs only or like how do you navigate through a calorie surplus? I think it'll be pretty even spread, you know. Um, I think this week I'm just tracking and then I'm going to let my nutritionist know like what I've been having because I haven't been tracking for the past couple of weeks. So if I let her know how it is and let her know my average weight, then we can go from there. But I think it's going to be something gentle like, I don't know, maybe like a 200 calorie surplus or something like that. Um, give me that extra fuel and like we'll probably adjust it week on week because um, I get weekly or bi-weekly check-ins so she'll let me know if she thinks I should go up a little bit down a little bit and she'll also check in with my mental state as well so um, I think like this is totally new for me so I think we're just going to see how, how I go because usually I'm on like way lower calories than I should be for the amount of muscle that I have um, I think that comes from the extreme dieting when I was in a lower weight class, but um, we're we're hopefully going to bring it back up and help me feel super fueled. Because mm, there's an interesting one with the metabolism, right? That's why if you have a client who needs to go on a deficit or a surplus and they say, how many calories should I be eating? Like, I don't know. Like, at least like the strategy that I would take is I would get a indication of what they're currently consuming yeah. and then build it off there mm. and yeah. then now in terms of your surplus because there's this thing where uh, I'd almost go so far as to saying it's like a myth kind of thing when people were cutting or in a surplus there's a myth that your rep ranges and your training should also change you know oh, I'm cutting now so I should do high reps like where do you stand with that in terms of your training does it just does it change at all when you go into a surplus, obviously you mentioned about the upper body hypertrophy, which is kind of different to the surplus, but surplus or in a deficit, does your training differ? I think it depends, like um, powerlifting perspective wise, it depends where you are in your comp calendar. Um, like, can you afford to change that? Probably not. Um, and it depends, like, why are you in a surplus? Why are you in a deficit? Like, do you really need to be in a deficit right now? Um, generally speaking, the surplus helps strength athletes, um, whether it's gentle or not. Um, but yeah, basically when I'm in, going into the surplus now, I think the extra reps that I'm doing and the extra volume that I'm doing, those two are going to go hand in hand, really. Yeah, and I don't know, the, the world of powerlifting is always kind of intrigued me a little bit in terms of the surplus and cutting side of it what is your approach in terms of your body weight because I know there's some people who say they compete at 86 and they just always hover around 86 but then there might be people in that category who go up to 90 kilos or even more and then cut down for a show what is your strategy when it comes to your body composition throughout the year so I've only been in this weight class for like nine months now I think so I'm still really new to it um but basically I was in the 63s before and that was just like way too light for for me um so when I stopped being in such a severe deficit my body weight just shot up to 70 when I was like 
I wasn't sitting at 63 though, I was sitting at maybe like 68, 69 and like all of a sudden I put on like a couple of kilos like in the blink of an eye um, and I was like, well, I guess like like I feel strong so I guess Kind of getting 10 kgs away Yeah, like all of a sudden I'd been struggling with like 95 kilo benches and then all of a sudden I was benching like 110 I was like, well I'm not going to go down so um, yeah, like ideally you want to sit just a little, it depends obviously on your level, but like if you're very competitive and at a high level and you can afford to cut, um, ideally you want to sit like just over your weight class and then manipulate manipulate your weight to help you make weight on the day so that you're able to have more ma- mass on the platform. Um, so like I could diet down to 69 if I wanted to and like lose a kilo and a half or whatever, but then I would lose that mass. So, like, if I can stay at, like, 71 and then, like, water load. I didn't even need to water cut last time. I only had to water load. And it's manipulated my weight. Like, I'm able to hold on to the mass that I've got and it gives me an advantage on the platform. And that's that whole idea of mass moves mass, right? It's pretty, yeah. Pretty simple equation. And for people who don't know what a water cut is, it's quite a uh, interesting kind of thing to do. What... How would you describe a water cut? Obviously, they're different, but what is the what are the fundamentals of doing a water cut? So fundamentals are usually um, loading your water intake. It depends how much water you usually have and like how much body weight, like how heavy you are as well. But like for me, um, I like gradually built it up. Like a week before comp, I'll start like gradually building it up, and then I think it's like three days before I've got it all on a spreadsheet, and I just follow that like a yeah. book. But off the top of my head it's like three days before I'm on seven and a half liters of water a day um and then you I didn't even need to cut it off this time but usually you'd cut it off like maybe 14 16 hours before weigh-in um and basically because you've been loading that water and it's been making you pee when you stop you're still peeing but you're not putting the water in yeah so it helps you like flush out a lot of water weight that way as well yeah, do you manipulate any sodium throughout that week? I have done. Um, I didn't do it last time because I didn't need to, but I have done that. So again, you would like you don't always have to, but like I've always like loaded it and then dropped it, um, like closer to comp. So you like load your water, load your sodium, and then like drop them. Uh, and then also fiber intake. If you drop, like if you, it sounds unhealthy, but it is only for a few days you cut out your fruit and vegetable intake and like watch how how much more fibrous food you're having you can lose up to like a kilo doing that as well because you have like a kilo of fiber in your gut man that's it's so interesting how much you can just manipulate your body composition like that and would you say that that has a dramatic impact on well it mustn't have a dramatic impact but would you say that impacts your performance like is it better to not have to do that would you perform better or no because you're able to bring more mass to the platform like you're saying it's totally totally depends but um last time i felt the best i ever have on the platform because i cut less water like i didn't have to um usually cramping's an issue for me and like especially in my forearms uh like they would cramp and my hand would literally like be like clamped shut like this and my coach would have to peel it open and like bend my wrist back is it a sodium um, thing like do you take any salt pills or something for that yeah, so I'd like rehydrate properly and I've got salt, I've got Dioralite, I've got electrolytes. 
but nothing was seeming to work. But I think it's like a very fine line with me, like from what weight I do my water load and my water cut from. Um, like last time I only cramped once and I took a little, it's called cramp fix. It's like an electrolyte drink that tastes like vinegar. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it works. Um, and I took it away and it was fine. Whereas before, like I would cramp multiple times um, when I'm competing. But now I realise it is water load related because I've taken that variation out now. I've like lost way less water. I've not had to cut the water and I didn't cramp. So and you can see how you going through those experiences, all of a sudden you have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to being a coach in yeah. terms of your water loading, your sodium manipulation, because you've gone and you've done the thing and experienced the negative impacts of doing it a certain way. Yeah. Thankfully I've not had to do like sauna or anything like that, but I've supervised friends that have had to do it. Um, and it is pretty, pretty it's pretty brutal. extreme it's yeah. just, it reminds me of um, stepping onto a bodybuilding stage and they're yeah. trying to get as, like, as dry as they can yeah. so then they do something like that it's, I didn't actually know until I started looking into the world of powerlifting a bit more that there was actually like the nutrition and stuff in terms of a peak week is actually quite a thing for a lot of the athletes yeah it's like as there's a lot more to it than what a lot of people think mm. and I can see even from our chat in terms of you being a coach, it's obvious that you must be a good coach given the holistic approach that you take, like a big green flag that I would say for people in terms of looking for a coach is that you're not just tunnel vision on only the training or only yeah. the food and you don't have, you know, any leeway for a human being a human. Like, yeah, yeah there's this, an ideal that you could aim for but it's more about like what are the consistent things that you can do over time to stack the wins and stack the progress yeah I, I totally agree like I think a huge part of it for me is like if one of my lifters is struggling with something or is just mentally like even if it's not to do with training if they're just mentally not in a good place I'm like tell me like I'm not going to tell anyone, um, I'm not going to pry and ask for details, but if you want to talk to me about something, I'll talk to you about it, because it all has an impact on your training, and like, I, I think it's really important, it's not it's not just a physical stick to program thing, it's like, how how's your mind? Absolutely, and especially if you're coaching them, and they're not meeting the targets that you've set for them, you start to maybe think that it's you, but then yeah. if they're not opening up about the things that they're going through then it's yep. hard for you to know what to manipulate and what to change yeah. in order to make that progress that they should be making yeah and part of it's like as a coach you should be asking questions but at the same time like your athlete needs to communicate back to you like sometimes like well quite often I've had to say to someone like how are your externals at the moment like how are you sleeping how's your stress levels how's this how's that um and sometimes they're like oh well actually I've got a bit of stuff going on and I'm like okay there we go yeah it, it is a two-way relationship because as an athlete it's easy to assume that your coach just knows everything and if it's yeah. going bad oh it must be my coach's fault but if you're not like you say taking that ownership as an athlete to effectively communicate then yeah. your coach isn't going to know what to what to change that's it like like I said a coach should be asking questions but at the same time like as an athlete to be a better athlete you need to be communicating 
really closely and openly with your coach like my coach gets like all of my info I don't tell him like unnecessary <laughs> things but like if something was going on I'd tell him I'd be like look like this is going on my trainer might be a bit funny over the next however long mm. um and likewise when I'm feeling really good I let him know because it's all training data that you can use yeah absolutely and in terms of uh what you've got coming up what is your sort of schedule or your year ahead look like from here so Basically, the GB team is going to be having a new head coach um, anytime now. I think the process is ongoing. Nobody knows who it's going to be. Um, so I don't know if those processes of selection are going to change or if it's going to keep the same. Um, but I really hope that I'll be selected for the GB squad for European champs at the end of the year, um, which is in Estonia this year. Um, I'm pretty sure, unless I've got that wrong. I'm sure it's there. Um, but yeah, like I just, I really hope that I'm selected for that. And if I am, then I'll be continuing to do this volume block for like quite a while because I've got like 22 weeks until Euros. That's like if, right like, at the end of the year then. Yeah, if selected, it's like 21, 22 weeks. So um, yeah, I've got like a decent amount of time with this volume block before I would need to start prepping. Like I'll probably take a 10 week prep, um, but like I've not spoken about that with, with my coach yet yeah maybe your coach will listen to this and then hit you up afterwards maybe <laughs> he'll be like you've got it wrong <laughs> you're not doing that it's absolutely wrong yeah. and if people want to find you to either follow your journey or if they want to reach out to you you know coaching inquiries where is the best place for people to find you instagram's probably the best place um i'm quite active on there so um my instagram you can just type in annie nelson and then like my underscore is like annie banani underscore so it's the nickname i got when i was nice. a little girl and like, <laughs> um and then my coaching page is in my bio on there mm -hmm. and would you just recommend them to flick you a dm or something if they're interested yeah. in coaching just dm me or in my coaching page i've also got like in the website section there's a link to a google doc where if you don't feel comfortable enough dming me then you can fill out the contact form and i'll, I'll reach out to you Perfect. Thanks each for coming on today, Annie. I feel like I personally learned a lot about the world of powerlifting, both from a coaching perspective and also from your athlete perspective. So I really appreciate your time. No, good. Thank you very much for having me.